0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 60 of the Equalizer podcast as we creep ever closer to the 2019 World Cup. My name is Dan Lolletta. I've got John D. Halloran and Chelsea Bush with me at the end of another weekend of women's soccer. It started with Thursday night's U.S. 5 nothing blowout of New Zealand that was in St. Louis and then on the NWSL weekend we had four games for you Washington over Portland I think is the result that catches the eye three to one on Saturday before that Seattle two and Sky Blue one Sky Blue second season in a row winless through six Sunday North Carolina Utah played to a 1-1 draw and Chicago beat Houston two to one on two goals by who else Samantha Kerr. But let's kick it off with some U.S. talk because the World Cup really is the talk of the women's game at this point. And the U.S. had a very different um, opponent in terms of not only personnel but approach. And they beat them pretty handily 5-0. I'm going to let John and Chelsea run with this a little bit. So Chelsea, go ahead with your thoughts on the game. That included, by the way, Allie Krieger's long-awaited 100th cap.
1: Yeah, it was was good to see her get her her Cap, I think it was, a uh, I, myself included, a lot of people thought that was never going to happen for her, and I think she's she's earned getting to that point, so it's kind of good for that. The game, I, I thought it was better than against South Africa, but it, it took us, it was a slow start, and I just thought the tempo of the game was just a little bit, a little bit slower than we're used to seeing. Um, I'm not sure if, if they're just kind of taking it a little bit more careful, since, you know, everyone just wants to get to the World Cup without injuries at this point. Um, they ended up, you know, it, it picked up speed and they ended up being pretty ruthless. I think uh, Carly Lloyd and Sam Mewis are the ones that kind of jump out at me as they just have so much to say when they get on the field right now. And yes, they're they're against, uh, you know, second tier teams. But talk about, you know, playing with something to prove. Um, I thought Crystal Dunn had a little bit better of a match. He was a little bit more involved. I actually thought Kelly O'Hara not quite as, as good as we saw her. I think maybe she was just tired because she's still working her way back to fitness. Um, other than that, obviously, the defense was, was never really tested. I think New Zealand, they had a, a chance early on, maybe around the fourth minute. I mean, it was very early, and I always I found myself wondering as the game went how that would the game would have changed if they'd managed to get on the board pretty early because they just, you know, once we found those those seams and those um, open spaces uh, strictly on, I think, uh, the U.S. left side, it was kind of game over. It was there was ball watching from New Zealand's defense. and I thought they were fairly organized in the middle of the park, but uh, just could not keep it together on defense. And and thankfully, it was good to see that the U.S. kind of started to exploit that, although I, I still think it's very strange how little they're getting Alex Morgan involved
2: yeah, I'd agree. I thought uh, you know, just to go off your point that they had a they had a slow start. I kind of wondered, you know whether that was the phase of training that they're in right now. you know, maybe they're pushing it a little bit harder in training so that they're not uh, maybe as sharp when it comes to game day, but I think a lot of it's probably just psychological. I think you're in this lull now between the roster being announced, so players, aren't carrying with them that angst of am I going to make the roster or not and uh, we're still at this point you know what three weeks or more away from the opening game four weeks uh, almost so I think the players probably mentally just aren't in that space where they're ready to ramp it up yet and I don't think that that's a problem I mean these are you know you you don't want to be peaking right now obviously and even if, even if they're not peaking by, uh, by June 10th, I don't think that's going to matter much when you look at the first two opponents in Thailand and Chile. I think the U.S. is going to cruise into the round of 16, and then from there it's going to be are they ready to play. And that last game in the group against Sweden will really be the first test, I think, that they'll have uh, going all the way back to probably the Australia match that they played uh, a while back.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've learned in in multiple turns, but strictly most recently, 2015, that it really is about peaking at the right time because, you know, they they certainly did not peak until the knockout rounds in that tournament. clearly worked out well with maybe a little bit of luck. Um, I'm hoping that in the next game we can see uh, Jess McDonald and Morgan Bryan get on the pitch. I'd, I'd like to see everybody get some time just to make sure everything's kind of tuned up, ready to go. I'm not sure... What I see the roles of either of those players being in, in a World Cup situation, but I would just like him to get some time on the pitch, just you know, just in case, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the one for me, um, at least if there's any questions left, is is whether Mewis should be starting or not. Um, and I don't think that that she should start over Haran, um, but I think you can ask whether or not she should be starting over Lavelle. Um, and I, I understand that people look at Lavelle as, as that creative spark, but I think when people do that, they make assumptions about Muis because of her size, that she's not a creative player, and that's just not true. Uh, Muis sees a lot of passes two and three levels deep that other players don't see. She can take players on the dribble, she can shoot from distance, and so you know, she might not have all the same tools that Lavelle has, but she has a lot of them. Um, And she can do things that that Lavelle can't do. And I think, you know, if we're talking about Thailand or Chile, I think Lavelle probably is the choice because you want to have that bit that she can provide. But I think when you're playing Sweden or when you get into the knockout stages, I think Mewis might be the choice there. And the other one in terms of playing time is Carly Lloyd. I think she's proved um, in a lot of these recent games that she can play that Alex Morgan role when needed. And it might also be a way of, uh, of keeping Morgan's minutes down um, during the group stage is making sure that you're putting Lloyd on for the last 30 minutes of those early games. Because if the, the way that Ellis has this 4-3-3 set up, she's really just looking for a physical presence in that number nine position, somebody to win and hold the ball up in transition, somebody to get in the box and put a body on crosses you know, that uh, Rapino and Heath are providing. And Lloyd can do that. And um, I think the fact that, that she's kind of hitting her own stride um, at this point is a good sign for the U.S. as well. Chelsea and I were yeah, Colin, debating.
1: Go ahead. I was just going to say,
0: we were debating last week on the pod about Lavelle and Mewis, and we disagreed. I think I'm more in the Mewis camp, you're more in the Lavelle camp. But let me get your opinion on this, John. I will concede that I think Mewis might be more effective off the bench because of all the things you just said. She can come in in a variety of roles where Lavelle is a very good player but maybe does a few things less. I'm sure Mewis doesn't want to hear that, but I think maybe she'd be the more effective 12th or 13th player than Lavelle.
2: That's an interesting way to look at it, Um, although I think you could flip that around and say that against, you know, if you get into the knockout rounds, and you're playing Germany or England or France, it might be better to start MUIS and then around the 60th minute when the space starts to open up, that Lavelle might be a little more effective um, with just a little bit more room to operate and probably taking um, a few less hits. Because I really think um, that the way you stop Lavelle is putting a body on her. And, um, you know, when the tougher teams, either figure that out or do that effectively, uh, it's really going to limit her ability to contribute.
1: And uh, on, on that note, I will say that, I will concede that the, I think Mewis is stronger uh, defensively than Lavelle.
2: Yeah.
1: And it kind of strengthens the spine of, of that midfield. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I still like what Lavelle brings to the table. I like me. I kind of just wish you could have, all four at this point, because um, it, it's 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 a hard choice. But yeah, I think if if you're you're, I think John makes a very good point about maybe a weakness of Lavelle's and maybe a little bit easier way to shut her down. And um, I think if if that happens, uh, that the is is the better choice in that instance. But I don't know. I just I think when teams are gonna and you may, it maybe you point out in the earlier games when teams are good tend, tend to bunker down a little bit. I think she's much better at kind of unlocking those tight spaces of the
2: Yeah, and I think that's probably fair. And, um, you know, when I look at Mewis's passing ability, it does tend to be, you know, when a game is more back and forth. Um, And so, you know, again, I think that'd be better against Sweden, England, France, Germany, um, down the road.
0: On the Morgan Bryan front. I don't know how you go through the Mexico game and don't use her. I think it's crazy to have her basically drop from the team in January, February, and then take her to the World Cup and not put her on the field at all in these three games, regardless of what you think her role is going to be once you get there. I think she's a must-use player in that last game. Don't you guys agree with that?
2: She was dropped in March, too.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, she was dropped in February, not to be seen again until the roster for the World Cup was... Yeah, she's been gone for months
2: yes yeah, I, very
0: weird I, to bring her there without using her
2: you know I, I was very public about criticizing Ellis's lack of bringing a second number six um, but having talked to Zerboni last weekend in Chicago um, I, I think even Zerboni doesn't feel 100% and so I think this bringing Brian in wasn't done so much as I think what a lot of people assume and that she's, you know, going to provide some help at eight or 10. I think right now in Ellis's head, she might be the backup number six.
0: Interesting. That kind of reminds me of when I talked to Megan Rapino a year or two ago and I asked her if she thought coming back soon for the Olympics in 2016 was a mistake. And she basically said, wasn't a mistake for me you might want to ask Jill. She might have a different opinion about that. So basically <laughs> wow. conceding that she probably wasn't, you know, really ready to be part of that team. But, like, you know, you're not going to turn that down.
2: Yeah. Well, and
1: and
0: if, uh, Go ahead, Chelsea.
2: Sorry.
1: I was going to say, if if Brian is the backup number six, which I, I agree, I think that's how she's most you know tended to be used by the U.S., it's even more reason to give her minutes because, you know, as we saw against South Africa, it kind of seems like, ellis's backup center back is her starting number six which is yep an odd choice but whatever um so all the more reason to need to get her some minutes and it's not like
0: i was just gonna say it's not like jess mcdonald who's had all these big minutes for the courage like brian was barely getting up to playing an hour for the red stars when this roster dropped
2: yeah and i think you can tie both of the the last two conversations together in that you, you know, with Lavelle being injured the way that she has, you can use Mewis to limit her minutes and keep her healthy. And if you need to get Morgan Bryant on the field or you feel like you want to see her, that's a great way to limit Ertz's minutes because Julie Ertz doesn't have anything other than fifth gear. And so if you keep playing her every minute, you know, through the last send off game, through the first, you know, three matches in that group stage you're just asking for her to pick up something, you know, a knock to the knee, a little groin pull. And why not use the depth that you have, especially considering how easy your next few games are to really make sure you're 100% healthy when you go into that knockout? Because I think we've all kind of looked at the way the brackets sort out, and there's a good chance that the U.S. is going to face a quarterfinal opponent, which really could be the final in all for all intents and purposes, yeah, both yeah, friends.
1: Yeah, I, I think there there are enough players that are you know potential injury risks on this roster. Let's add another one. Uh, I would put money on the starting eleven being quite similar to what we've been seeing. But I I agree. I hope she she gets a break because she goes she goes harder. She goes home.
0: Yeah, and that chili match is really custom made to rotate almost everybody on the whole team because they should beat thailand handily and they should be able to beat chile handily taking 11 who aren't even on the world cup roster and then you get ready for whatever you want to do against sweden but the likelihood is by that point you're already through so i think that middle group match i don't know if jill ellis will have the confidence to do it but i think that's the match where you start a lot of players you know maybe McDonald and brian get in the starting lineup who knows She did
1: that in in the Olympics. I will give her credit for that. I I believe in the second group stage, she rotated a lot. Maybe it was the last one. One of the group stages, she rotated quite a bit.
0: Last thing before we end the segment, I was talking to someone this week about who I think the main subs will be. And I think Mal Pugh could be a player looking at not getting a lot of time here because you know, Press and Lloyd are going to be on the field in most of the games or at least any of the games that matter. And if you have to hold a sub for a defender, and you know, also Ertz Lavelle, maybe one of those comes out. I know, I'm not sure Pew's in the main rotation all of a sudden. Maybe it's not all of a sudden, but we know Jill Ellis likes her a lot.
2: Yeah, well, I don't yeah, think, I think she, she should she'll, be. She'll Press has been better,
0: even, hasn't she? Uh, Press is yeah. playing best soccer of her career by a mile. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I all think right. she'll play. But I think you have a good point that you're gonna, you're obviously gonna see Press and Lloyd, in uh, surely every game except maybe they, you know, one of those group stages, and then you, you've got to save. Uh, another sub for probably one of your midfielders and then there's the question of can when kelly o'hara can go 90 minutes too
0: yeah so that's four right there so i think i think the i think if jill has it the way she wants it i think her subs in any given match are lloyd press and whoever doesn't start between Mewis and lavelle and you hope your back holds together see what happens long way to go Uh, Not that long way to go, but also a long way to go. U.S. will finish it up against Mexico coming up uh, the Sunday, coming up Memorial Day weekend, and then it's off to Europe to prepare for the World Cup in France. That's segment one, episode 60, Equalizer podcast. Dan, John, and Chelsea will be back with some NWSL talk after this. Episode 60, Segment 2, Equalizer Podcast. Dan with Chelsea and John. And a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast. The better ratings and reviews that we get from you. The more great content we can produce, so please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast today. Week 6 in the NWSL season. And uh, we all watch sort of various parts of different games. But I'm going to go and start with a game that we all did see. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, but I thought Washington's result against Portland was a really interesting game. And I know that this was not Portland's A-team by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought at about the hour mark, it was still 2-0 Washington. I thought this game had 2-2 written all over it. And sure enough, a few minutes later, the Thorns score, but then Washington came back and DiBiase scored off a corner kick, which is probably a bit of a fluke doesn't happen that often but i think that the fact that the spirit were able to get these points against the thorns when the only games they've won up to this point are against their personal punching bag sky blue fc i'm starting to be impressed with what richie burke has done there five games in or whatever it is to the tenure so that's my that's my nwsl hot take at the top anyone want to tell me i'm crazy agree
2: it's accurate
0: all right, moving on. Now, I mean, <laughs> if, you know, if, you, if you look at Sky Blue, and I go to a lot of the Sky Blue games, and I, I keep hearing that, well, they're a lot better, and, and that's a game that I didn't see, if I'm being honest about it, and they wound up with Morgan Andrews playing goal because Beato's got hurt late in the game, no more subs. The Sky Blue doesn't get points out of these games. You know, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think the Spirit are going to be in the playoffs because, honestly, I think there will be too many good teams after the World Cup ends. But is a, that's, a, that's three big points for a young team like that.
2: Well, you look at, like, they're another team that maybe they don't, you know, I mean, obviously they have Pew and Lavelle, but I don't think anybody would jump up and down about what Pew and Lavelle did last year in the league. But when you look at what they have without them, they have just a lot of really solid players. And you're seeing a lot of players who we knew had talent play better, you know. Um Obviously, Sullivan's been good for them. DiBiase has been great as a rookie. Um, Chloe Lagarzo was somebody who was really good in the W League and seems to have carried that over this year. Um, Matthews has been good. Hatch had, I, 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 I gushed about this this morning, but like her turn on her goal was just fantastic.
0: Yep.
2: Um, they're set up well, they're playing a very specific style. Like, I think you could contrast what Washington has done with a new coach and what Orlando has done with a new coach, uh, which is that, one, you can see that there's been a style put in place. There's been some buy-in versus the other one who it's, you know, he's saying the right things, but you look at their play on the field and you see, you know, nothing different. Um, and I think Maggie doherty Howard's played better, or, you know, and I, she's another one who came in with some high expectations, but you're actually seeing what she can do.
0: And I feel like their effort is like double or triple what it was last year. Like you're seeing players make runs off the ball and you're seeing when they move the ball up through the midfield, it's with a purpose. And I think Sullivan in particular has been miles better than she was last season. And I think for every player like Andy Sullivan, you know, maybe it would have done her good to make the World Cup roster and play 12 minutes and be part of it. And everybody, of course, wants that. But I think it might wind up being better for her career to be in Washington and to kind of just be part of this build-up, you know, no pun intended, and and to see the team getting better. I agree with on the Hatch point. I thought that was actually a pretty well defended goal. And I've been um, not necessarily on the Aubrey Bledsoe bandwagon, but I think she's been tremendous this season.
2: And they've played. Their back line has played well, and that nobody thought that was going to happen. So.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, again, they haven't faced any world beaters. You know, Portland is good, but no Sinclair, no Heath. You know, the, the Thorns will be better than they were in this game. Very strong. What do you think of
2: Parsons' formation there with the 3-4-3? It was kind of what he tried two, is it two years ago um, when he he did something similar?
0: I think so. Uh, you know, you know Mengas hadn't played all season, and then you put her in the middle of a three-back with – you know, Siler's pretty inexperienced, but look, I give him credit for, for tweaking. Do you remember the game I think during the sixteen Olympics he played that game where Nadim was up top and he like the other nine players were all behind the ball and somehow Nadim got on the end of one and they won one nothing, thing think against the rain.
2: Well I'll tell you that they, they they're not a good team without Heath Haran and Sinclair. Um, to say nothing of Sonnet or French, or they're going to they're going to lose a couple more next week when the Australians That's, leave.
0: Not too many teams would be good if you take out uh, those three, but yeah, I agree. Chelsea, anything on uh, on Spirit or even the Thorns?
1: Um, I am. I have to take back some of what I said. I didn't expect you know much from the Spirit at the beginning of the season. I think they've exceeded my expectations. Um, I agree that they're not going to make the playoffs. I, I do wonder down the stretch how they're going to work out. You know, rookies tend to really struggle at the latter half of this league just because it requires so much more than they're used to in college. So I'm curious to see if if they can maintain their organization, their effort, all that um, down the stretch, particularly if they ever get into sort of a a losing streak that can really affect young players. But I I am impressed with with what they put together and they, they look a lot better than I expected. So kudos to Richie Burke for that. Portland, yeah, Portland is... I thought the defense would be better when Ellie Megas came back and I understand she's just now back from from injury, but I don't know, it's just curious. I think he rolled out that same formation last week in Orlando, if I remember correctly, and that I guess maybe this what the personnel he has, that's what he's going to go with, but you're taking you know, you're, they're going to lose Caitlin Ford after this. I think she's been tremendous for them during this run, so I think they're they're really going to struggle over the next couple months.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm most impressed that the spirit were able to turn momentum when it looked like the thorns were maybe coming back. And on the front foot early part of that second half, Uh, Chelsea, the North Carolina, Utah game, um, I what I take away is that the courage were a lot better than they were. Despite my tweet, like 30 seconds before Utah scored and went up a goal. But I thought the cards were much better. But, man, when you don't have McDonald and Dunn there, the fact that Lynn Williams can't finish just stands out like a sore thumb, does it not?
1: Well, I've always been critical of her finishing. I just think they created so many more chances for her that she she put more away. And I think now she's not getting as many chances created. I think that's always been my argument against her on the national team. I don't think – I think you take her out of the courage setting with all those players around her and she's gonna struggle and, and I I think Dabinia struggles to finish as well. I think it's just a Williams thing. I just think it's so much of it ends up going to Lynn Williams at the end of the, the build up, uh that it falls to her. I think they were better but just um they they struggled in that that purely that first half. I thought that Utah Utah's probably I think one of the best at playing a one, two touch game in this league and their goal. I mean, obviously personified that it was kind of a similar goal to Amy Rodriguez against Houston last week. Wasn't that sort of that sliding finish? Yep. Um But, but kudos to her for, for that, because I don't think many people would have finished that as well as she did.
0: And we um, think Boland thought it was going wide.
1: Yes, absolutely. That was, that was kind of poor on her part. She probably could, she should have stopped that. I think.
0: That's like the coming off the line and not making contact, except it's worse. Like, you know, if you're going to make that call and you make the call that it's going wide, better go wide.
1: Well, that's what you see with most keepers. Whether or not they think it's going to go wide, they have that post covered. And she just, she didn't, um, that's, yeah. And
0: I didn't even think it was like a tough save or chance either. You know, I thought it was, would have been pretty mundane. But I I feel like the Cubs don't have ideas so to speak in the final third like they were just building up i don't think hinkle's been as good this season as she was last including with her balls in but it seems like they just were serving the ball to the far post and more often than not there was nobody there they even had some really good serves but you know a good service doesn't matter if there's none if you don't have a teammate there
1: yeah i would like to see them get Denise sullivan closer to the goal i think dropping her her back sometimes as they they do and when, when they're missing players um kind of takes away some of her for her efficacy and she needs to be she's a little bit more of a creator i think she could kind of help unlock some of that but utah's just that's like their kryptonite man they got their number
0: yeah for sure almost almost beat them again maybe should have beat them again now let's bring john back in because your wheelhouse is the red stars and sam kerr had two goals and i guess the opening what 13 minutes and yeah like, kind of a survival thing down the stretch against Houston, but Houston, I mean, they cannot win at home. Their home away splits are crazy bad, but uh, Red Stars win. They go to first place. And uh, to me, they're the most impressive team. Maybe not, they've maybe not played the best, like, their best maybe hasn't been the best in the league, but considering Kerr and how they defend and their depth, to me, I think they've been the most impressive team so far.
2: Well, that's the thing. And just to kind of put a flip side, you know, when we were talking about Portland and, you know, you were saying, well, any team without Heath, Horan and Sinclair is going to drop off. You know, Chicago's missing four players with the U.S. right now. Um, they're about to lose Kerr. Um, so that'll put them at five. But they're still getting contributions from those players that that they have in those spots, you know, whether it's Sarah Gordon stepping in for. You know, Tierna Davidson in the back line or whether it's, you know, Nikki Stanton in there for Julie Ertz or Emily Boyd in there for Nair, you know, they, they still get contributions. And then they've been lucky that they've had Kerr through these games, of course, um, and Kerr was very dominant early on. But Vascon Salos is better. Katie Johnson is going to, you know, looks to be a, a big addition. And Vanessa DiBernardo back at 100% has been, has been big for them as well, you know, because she was hurt last year at the beginning of the season. So, And she's also playing in the 10, which we haven't seen on a full-time basis since, I think, 2016, um, which is where kind of most fans, I think, became familiar with her and her play. Uh, she's been back in that role the past few weeks. It's really helped open up the offense. She's got a nice connection with Kerr. Um, and they they just create havoc on the counterattack, playing that three front that they are uh, the last few games.
0: Yeah, they've been uh, they've been they've been quite good. Chelsea, go for it.
1: I I thought in that first fifteen minutes that this could be a bloodbath. Like those yeah. two goals, that get Kerr put away were not the only times that she got in behind their defense. Um, but Houston, I think adjusted really well. I think they did a lot better as the game went on about kind of denying the ball took her and, and did a whole lot better in the midfield, I thought, for, for long stretches. I actually think they were probably the better team for the majority of the match, um, but just couldn't generate enough chances and, and couldn't quite put them away. I think the kelia Ohi casey short battle was really fun to watch. Um, fairly even, maybe a slight lopsided to short for winning more of those, but really, really entertaining. Um, I thought Haley Hansen, and I've been kind of big on her since she came on, but I thought she kind of, Quietly had a pretty good match.
2: and it's interesting that uh, you talk about the um, the change in momentum uh, that you were talking about. How how Houston worked their way back in. I don't know if you guys saw the halftime stats, but Houston held a twenty to seven edge in
1: shots at the half, which I, I was pretty. Know. Yeah, I saw that. But it, but what it was it? Was not very many on 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 frame, yeah. like four or five. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that the Vasconcelos season so far is like a microcosm of the Red Stars. And I know, I think, John, you did a story about this. I don't know if it was earlier this season or last, but she was a rookie, pretty highly drafted rookie, right? 11 or 12 yeah. overall, I think they traded up together, And then all of a sudden she's pregnant and she misses her rookie season. And that's a huge jump from, you know, not a, not even a major conference to NWSL with a year off where your body goes through all these changes to have a baby not surprising that her rookie year was kind of okay but the red stars draft so well and they obviously do the things that it takes to make her want to be there because a lot of players wouldn't have gone back there
2: the craziest thing is like last year you could see potential right you could see that she had some pace and you know, she wanted to go at players, but she was constantly losing the ball. She couldn't connect passes. She couldn't finish her chances. And, you know, when, when we were out in Portland during the preseason, she didn't look any different. And you kind of thought, well, you know, some players just don't make that jump. And this is, this is where she is and who she is. Um, and then for some reason, once the season started, she kind of kicked it up a notch. And, you know, it really made me think that the coaches deserve some credit uh, in all of this, too, because I think a lot of coaches would have seen what she did her rookie year um, and, and, and just kind of got, yeah, you know, she's not going to take that next step. But Rory has always been invested in her. I know, um, you know, the, the assistants, Gary Crean in, in particular, has, has spent a lot of time with her. And um, I thought her first 45 minutes today was the most confident 45 minutes that I've ever seen out of her.
0: Certainly, but, good to have, and she'll be probably a reserve player, a bench player when the when the regulars are back. Chelsea, wrap up our
1: segment for us. I was going to say, I, I think for Taylor, it always goes, goes back to that first goal she scored the season. I think he saw a change in her after that. It just really unlocked something within her.
0: I would be curious to see if the same happens for Ashley Hatch because I thought I've said this a lot. I thought Hatch was pretty decent for a really poor team last year, and is not the type of player that can do it on her own. Finally got one this weekend, so we'll see what happens. Episode 60, Equalizer Podcast. We are coming back with your questions, comments, and answers after this. Back for the third and final segment of Episode 60 on the Equalizer Podcast. In time for the sports reference NWSL stat of the week. And Sam Kerr. With her two goals against the Houston Dash brings her to 65 career goals and 104 NWSL appearances. That gives her a goals per game average of 625. And to put that in some perspective, among players who have played 50 or more games, there are more than 130 players who are non-goalkeepers who have played at least 50 games. Only two other players are even above 50%. John, Chelsea, you want to take a shot at this?
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, Lynn Williams.
0: No. uh, she's fourth, but n- under five, under 50 percent.
1: Christine Sinclair,
0: no, nope, she's pretty far down the list. Kristen Press and Kim Little are the only two other players over 50 percent. Oh. I thought Amy Rodriguez, maybe, but she's at a, a very tepid 472. But uh, Kerr, the only only three players, 50 matches have played, um, have scored in more than half, you know, goals, more than a half goal a game. And Kerr at 625. That's more than a full uh, tenth of a percent above Press, who's second. And then Kim Little, 65 goals, 104 games. Absolutely remarkable. That's the sports reference, NWSL stat of the week. And you can find uh, new and improved. Women's Soccer Stats all the time at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. Let's get to some questions and answers. And uh, Matt Rushing was good enough to take advantage and send us this in early. Uh, why are the U.S. WNT kits so hard to get a hold of now with the correct patches? There's only one place online so far that even offers the patch, and they are only available in women's sizes and then not with every player. And I think we have another question um, that came in today from Jay Veterino. Can you all get to the bottom of the Nike botched jersey launch during a World Cup year? Is it lack of caring or just laziness? I don't know if either. I don't have a lot of insight on this because I'm not a jersey person. But I've been hearing through the grapevine now that if you're going to France early and probably going without your jersey, if it's coming to your house. Either of you have any thoughts, insight or knowledge of this?
2: I know that. Uh, I think... there are... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that there were people, uh, I know people associated with the player's side feel like maybe U.S. soccer didn't put their full weight behind uh, behind pushing Nike to get this stuff out, um, but I can also tell you that this has been an issue on the men's side as well. Um, I remember before I started writing in 2010, uh, I really struggled to find a kit before the 2010 World Cup and uh, ended up going with um a training kit because they didn't have the actual jerseys available anywhere online or anywhere uh in stores near me
1: i think the patch thing is is a fifa thing if i want to if i remember correctly i think that it it has to be authorized or there's some sort of red tape that, that that they have to go to to get the patch so i don't know if that one can be blamed entirely on u.s soccer and if i had to guess i would actually say that that Nike kind of seems or maybe it's a combination of Nike view of soccer because when England uh released their their kits for sale I tried to get one and they were very very limited on the sizing um and then I would try to get an Australia kit and I I don't like the the women's cut so I, besides despite being a woman um I don't like the fitted cut I'd rather my jerseys be a little bit looser and I couldn't find a Matilda's kit in the men's cut at all on their website. So I don't think it's just um, U.S. soccer. I think it seems to be kind of a Nike issue.
0: Either way, it'd be nice to get that issue cleared up going forward. Yes. Nicholas, it appears that Allie Long is here as a backup number six. How do you feel she's done there in the past two games? That's kind of a uh, piggybacking on what we talked about earlier with uh, Morgan Bryan maybe being the – the backup there but uh, what do you guys think Chelsea
1: yeah she has played there the last two games so I guess we should have included her uh the last two games I think she's been okay but I have not been impressed with Ali Long for the majority of her national team career and most of that has been as a six and and so I'm not particularly hopeful
2: John, anything? um, I just think I just kind of what Chelsea was saying there at the end, like it feels like she really put herself into the national team picture when she was playing as a 10 and it seems like her best league play has been as an eight or a 10. And yet when she plays with the national team, she plays as a six or as a center back. And so, and, and I agree, I don't think she's played particularly well, but, how much of that can you put on the player and how much of that is the coaches?
0: I'd also like to say that we made a big deal about the Jess McDonald's story, which was remarkable, and Zerboni story, which didn't quite get there. But Allie Long's a pretty cool story, too. She came into the league as a rookie in 13, was completely bypassed for that entire cycle and is a player that really dedicated a lot of time to trying to make the World Cup. So, you know, whether you think she should be there or not, I think is a pretty neat story. Have her there, Jordan Staub. Bigger surprise in games, if any, with the U.S. players gone. I'm um, not sure exactly what the reference is there, um, but uh, I mean, what what are we? Is there a surprise? Anybody? Anything jump out at anybody that they didn't expect with the well, U.S.
1: Well, I didn't, I didn't expect North Carolina and Portland to struggle quite this much. I thought that they would, but North Carolina just. Yeah, I I thought North Carolina's depth would stand up better than this.
0: You only
2: have one playoff team, one 2018 playoff team, in a playoff position right now.
0: Yeah, it's a good call because North Carolina, Portland, and the rain are all on the other side of it. Yep. So it's only the Red Stars who are pacing. Have the Red Stars been in first place this late? I know probably nobody knows the answer to that, but I feel like the Red Stars are always like the, the chasing team.
2: Yeah, I don't know, 2016 was the year where they were real good through most of it, I think, and then faded just a bit before the playoffs started. Yeah,
0: but the Thorns opened that season like 9-0 and 3 or 7-0 and 5 or something. Okay. So I think the Thorns went wire to wire that year.
1: Well, and North Carolina's held at the top spot for the vast, vast majority of the last two seasons, too
0: absolutely i am that sam there was one week where they fell out two years ago and it might have been to chicago so i'm going to say that where there was one week i am that sam i am says any changes to your preseason predictions based on the early returns this season that uh, you know haha we all picked north carolina to dominate again and that still might be the way it shakes out but i think we all agree that the league is a lot more interesting and compelling than we thought in since we thought everybody you know we thought nobody really made a lot of interesting moves. And here we are with three of those four teams out on the outside.
2: Yeah, I had, um, I had Houston in the playoffs from the beginning and it looks like that's a decent call right now. And I had Portland out, which I think people probably thought I was nuts about and I still might end up being nuts, but, uh, I think they're just going to struggle too much. Um, as we saw, and I think we're going to continue to see, The ones I've been wrong about, I thought the rain would be in the top four, and they haven't really shown signs of doing anything right now. And um, I did not rate Utah highly enough.
0: Speaking of the rain, Fishlock um, should be back soon. Lyon just dominated and won, what, their fourth straight Champions League. So that'll help. If Fishlock comes back and can play at any sort of level and isn't totally worn out from going straight to Lyon, that's a big addition for them.
2: They have so much talent. I don't know what's not going right for them. They're just, <laughs> and it's, you know, they, they lost Rapino, like in long. You, can, you should be able to get over that with the attacking players they have and the midfield that they have. And, and they're just a, a mess right now.
0: I think one thing about Vladko Andonovsky is his teams get better. So I'd be surprised if they're not better in august than they are now whether that's enough we'll find out but i'd be surprised if they're not better a little bit later on um and you know i very much like the fact that washington and houston are in top four positions now because i think it's a lot more interesting when you have younger teams that start off well and have to try to hold that as opposed to you know, like if Sky Blue, you know, strings together a couple of wins here, you know, they'll still be fighting in that uphill battle. But I think it's more interesting to see the teams get off to good starts and can they can they hang on? Is that a little snicker of Sky Blue winning a couple in a row?
2: Chelsea? Uh,
1: no, I, I was gonna hop on and say, if only now, if only Sky Blue could get their act together and join them.
0: All right, must must have been superfluous noise, but I mean, really, thirty games they won one time. There's got, they got to get. They've got to start getting points, and they got the Thorns this weekend coming up at home, and and that's what really, I mean. They they should be able to. You know, they they took it to them a little bit last game when they had yeah. Heath Sinclair and everybody else. How about this? Biggest key for the Thorns is not going to be Sinclair, Heath, and um, Haran. Emily Son has got to come back and play a lot better than she did because I think we know the other three are going to be okay if they're healthy.
1: Yeah. I would would agree
0: with that. All right, we've got one more um, that we want to end with, but I think we also got another one. You guys can feel free to fill in while I fumble over my words here and try to find it, Uh, but I'm not going to be able to do that. So let's (laughs) let's let's finish up with this Uh, from Gallum Cardner of the U.S. roster. Who are the five players you select? for penalty kicks. Also, any thoughts on Canada at the World Cup? Quickly on Canada, I feel like similar to the 2012 Olympics, if they get lightning in a bottle and everything goes perfectly, they could be playing, uh, on, you know, in the last four. But I think, they're, uh, I think they're second tier. What do we got for that one?
1: Yeah, I'm not... I know Canada's, I think... I don't think they've conceded a goal over very few. They've done well so far this year, but... I, I don't have high hopes for them. I mean, they'll, they'll make it to the knockout rounds, but I don't see them doing particularly well.
2: Yeah, they're not deep enough.
0: All right, on to the uh, PKs. I, I mean, this, this is a hard question, but I mean, Carly Lloyd probably is one of them. She's missed a lot lately. Um, I, mean, who, I mean, who do we got? Mewis misses all the time. Obviously it depends who's in the game at any given point, but what are we thinking? Press had the big miss at the Olympics, which overshadowed the fact that Morgan didn't make her kick at the Olympics. So it's not a very it's not a very promising start. I'm gonna
2: go in no order. Heath, Haran, Morgan, Lloyd, and Rapino. All
0: right. Rapino's gotta be there. I think Heath's gotta be. How about Krieger? Maybe. I
1: think it's if I had to give mine, I would say Lloyd, Morgan, Haran, Heath, and then the, the final spot. It, I, I'm not depend. I'm not thinking Rapino's going to be there after 100. What, 120 minutes? Right. Um. So maybe if she's on the field, which is iffy. Krieger, if not, gosh, who else is on the field?
0: Well, I'm going to give you an interesting one. Mal Pugh, with her rookie season, made a 90th minute PK to equalize a game for the spirit, and she was, what, 18, 19 at the time? Just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't think I'd take press. Definitely wouldn't take Mewis. Um, I don't think any of the defenders have really done much PK. I'd love <laughs> to throw Becky Sauer run in there. Morgan
2: Bryan. The Ashlyn Harris. <laughs> I'll tell you another one who's a Great technical player, but you don't see it because she's a defender. As Davidson, I don't know if she can score or not, but her technical quality is fantastic.
0: Interesting. Any, anyone know if she ever took one in college or? Yeah, I don't know. At the youth level, it's a real interesting. Ideas. It's a real, real interesting question. Remember, you get that fourth sub too for uh, freshman, yeah. time, which is another mystery why the NWSL hasn't gone to that rule. Now, do we think it'll be the standard You both have Lloyd in your five. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you have to, you have to take Lloyd. I know she's, she's struggled lately, but you, her history, I think, speaks for itself.
0: And is that kind of like the Mia Ham 99, like we, can't, we couldn't live with ourselves if we lose and she didn't take one?
1: I don't know. I just think that she's got to be one of your go-to's.
0: I, I think Rapino and Heath are your two that you can't possibly live. I think Allie Long, too, if she's on the field.
1: Yeah, Long. I, I, I would say that. If my, that's my fifth. If she's on the field, I would take Long.
0: would be pretty good. I forgot good. about her. Interesting stuff. The last question. Will this, Matt, will, there, will it come to, will there be a PK shootout for the U.S.? Yes. Oof. That's a tough question. I don't know. No
1: hesitation.
0: Okay. And will it knock them out, or will they win? Or are I getting too nuts on you?
1: Um, I'll go okay. If it's the final, they win, if it's earlier than that, they go out.
0: Interesting. So that's the reverse 2011.
1: Exactly. Well, hopefully, nice. you don't have more than one shootout in a, in a, a tournament because that's just too much. I can't stand that.
0: Yeah, and you gotta wonder too, did Does that actually, does it put you at a disadvantage? Because if you've already taken one and made it.
1: I think it has to. I think it has to. They they know who your likely, you know, tankers are going to be. I think it has to. You can only take so many. You can only stand so many shootouts and one is enough.
0: Yeah. Don't disagree. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Episode 60 of the Equalizer podcast. Um, Again, make sure you rate rate it, and review it. And we'll be back with you next week for John Halloran and Chelsea Bush. I'm Dan Lauletta. Thanks for listening. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most
2: reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters.
0: It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right
1: from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.